Good morning, everyone. If uh, you are new, uh, let me welcome you to Grace Point. If I haven't met you before, I'm huge. Uh, one of the pastors here. It's a pleasure to actually open up uh, the Bible with you this morning. <clears throat> let me actually pray for us. Gracious God, we do thank you that you reveal yourself and you speak in and through your word. Uh, we do pray as we open up your word this morning, uh, that you might meet us where we are in our brokenness, our weakness, our affliction, uh, our struggles, our crushing circumstances, so that we might more and more find hope in the promises of Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. Uh, over the last two months, uh, as you know, we've been working through the Apostles' Creed, uh, not just here at Grace Point Litcombe, but across our campuses, uh, which is really a summary of the Christian faith, as taught by the disciples of Jesus in the Bible, a summary of what we believe. But we <clears throat> haven't just been looking at what Christians believe, but also how these truths actually affect our lives, how these truths give us hope, how these truths um, become, as it were, an anchor for us in life. Uh, now, when we say, I believe, and I said this probably about eight, nine weeks ago, so most people will remember, uh, believing can actually be attached or they can actually be detached, right? So believing can be attached or detached. Uh, we personally own and we allow our lives to be shaped by certain truths. Uh, or it's just information that we go, yeah, it's true, but it has no, it has no impact in our lives. It doesn't change our lives, right? So, for example, you believe in gravity, and that's why you're not going to walk off the cliff. That's an attached belief. You allow your life to be shaped by that truth. Uh, you also believe, uh, and I know all of you do here uh, in the room, uh, you believe that exercise and healthy eating is something that's good, right? But you're a couch potato and junk addict in the evenings. You binge on chips every evening, and that's your daily diet is Macca's. Well, that's a detached belief. You know something to be true, but it doesn't change your life. And so uh, when we say, I believe, it's either going to be attached, life-changing, or it's going to be detached. Okay? Now, this week, we're moving into the last line of the Apostles' Creed. It's there in your uh, order of services, your sermon outline. The very last line, it says, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Now, the creed has four parts. Um, <clears throat> we go from believing God the Father creator of the world who sends his son. Uh, we believe in God the Son who comes to carry out the saving work uh, by going to the cross and dying for us. Uh, we believe in the Holy Spirit who brings the, and applies the gospel into our lives, the life-changing truths and work of Jesus into our lives. Uh, last week, I think we looked at, uh, we believe in the church, uh, a community God has gathered around the gospel, a community of grace and a community of forgiveness. And this week, we look at that final line, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Now, in your sermon outlines, I'm going to look at this very quickly uh, under three headings. Uh, our future hope in death, our present groaning in life, and our confidence in life and death. You see that in your outlines? So hopefully you can track along, follow me. <coughs> you do want to have your Bibles open at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 16. Future hope in death, present groaning in life, confidence in life and death. So here's the first one, right? Our future hope in death. If there's a phrase that sums up the great reality of life's ex existence, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, uh, religious or secular, it's found here in chapter 4, verse 16 and verse 17. Notice Paul says, outwardly we are wasting away. And then he goes on to say that life is filled with trouble. The word there is affliction. Life is a, a life of affliction because everyone faces the prospect of decay, disease and death. Uh, life, whether you're Christian, religious, or secular, is a body that's frail, that's breaking down, 
tiredness and aging and decaying and affliction and disease, prone to suffering and eventually death. Now, if you're a young person in the room, you probably don't think like that, right? But you're on the pathway to decay, disease, and death. Everyone is. Uh, and so that's, that's, that's life. With growth comes decay. Our strength diminishes. Those of you who can bench, what, 100 kilos? Those of you who can deadlift, you know, 150, I can tell you that 20, 30 years from now, you will not be able to do that. That's the reality. We age, our eyes grow dimmer, our minds slower. With every birthday we celebrate, we're one step closer to death. Outwardly, we're wasting away. That's what Paul actually means. Now, notice what Paul says in the face of this reality. Verse 16, verse 17 of chapter 4, Therefore, we do not lose heart. We aren't despairing. We aren't without hope. Though outwardly, we're wasting away. Why? Because he says, inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. We're being prepared for something else. For our light and momentary troubles or afflictions are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. <coughs> there is something lasting God is preparing us for. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so Paul says, you know, I'm not losing heart, despite the fact that my body is breaking down. Uh, if you know anything about the first four chapters of 2 Corinthians, uh, chapter 1 and chapter 4, Paul experienced not just physical affliction, not just physical persecution, he was also emotionally crushed because he, we read in 2 Corinthians 1, he despaired even to the point of death. It was hard for him to get up in the morning because he felt anxious, crushed, and overwhelmed emotionally. But he doesn't lose heart. Now, why is that? Because you've got that word there. There's something called eternal glory. There's something in the future coming, he says, that's lasting. That's not subject to decay and disease and death. Uh, there's something that... Uh, is, is better than the body breaking down and afflicted by sickness and disease. So listen very, very carefully. An unshakable life in the face of your body wasting away comes from knowing that there are better days ahead. Uh, there's, there's something better uh, beyond the present. Now, if you're not a Christian, <clears throat> I am actually glad that you're here today because this passage actually speaks of the future hope that Christian people believe in. You might not believe it, but uh, it'll explain to you why Christians put their hope here. Okay? So in your Bibles, look at me at chapter 5, verse 1. Paul uh, now starts in chapter 5 to unpack this eternal glory, uh, this eternal future, the reason why he doesn't lose heart, uh, why he's not despairing, even though he's outwardly wasting away. So verse 1 reads, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. And so what Paul does is Paul compares his present body to an earthly tent that he lives in. Now, if you know anything about tents, some of you actually, you do go camping. Uh, you know that they're not permanent fixtures. They're not permanent structures. Uh, you go camping. You set up a tent for a few days. Uh, it becomes your home for a few days. Uh, you're there. It's not permanent. It's not a lasting home. And then you leave. It's like the gazebos outside, right? No one lives in them. We, they serve their function on, on a Sunday. Uh, they're temporary fixtures. And then we put them down. And then you go home. What well, Paul says... The body you live in is like an earthly tent, a portable gazebo, okay? We know that to be true because outwardly we are all wasting away. Those of you who've been here for the last 24 years at Grace Point will know that, like Roger Chan, right? He's been here a long time, like me, right? We, we've, we've used so many different portable gazebos. Eventually, they wear out, you know, the, they get frayed, and then, and then basically we chuck them, right? The body is like that, right? It's true. Outwardly, we're wasting away. Eventually, it comes to an end. 
you do not have to be a Christian to believe that death brings your earthly life to an end. Everyone believes that. But notice what Paul says. He says, if the earthly tent in which we live in is destroyed, even if our physical bodies are destroyed, we have an eternal house of building in heaven, not built by human hands. A tent, temporary structure, but a house of building, permanent structure. <clears throat> Can you see what Paul's actually saying here? He's saying, even if your earthly body is ravaged by sickness and disease and ultimately death, he's saying God is going to give you a new body, a heavenly body, not subject to disease, decay, or death. And so the body you live in, you've got to understand this as a Christian, the body you live in, the scripture says, is an earthly tent because it's wasting away. It's self-evident. The body to come, in contrast, is an eternal home that God gives us, and it's permanent, imperishable, lasting. It's not a slave to decay, disease, and death. It cannot be touched by these things. And here let me point out to you that for the Christian, life beyond death is not disembodied existence. You know, sometimes people think uh, when you die, you know, you'll be like, uh, you'll have wings, and you'll be sitting in the clouds, you know, playing a harp, you know, and you've got those cartoons. Well, well that's not the Bible's teaching. You don't, and in fact, you don't even lose yourself and become one with the universe. No, heaven is not disembodied existence. No, Christian people believe in the resurrection to eternal life, and it is physical, where God actually gives you the body that you've always desired, permanent, lasting, imperishable, immune to decay, disease, and death. Now, that is what we affirm when we say, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. It's actually saying, I believe I will rise to a new body God has given me that's permanent and lasting and imperishable, immune to disease, death, and decay. And so death for the Christian is not the end, but the beginning. The loss of the earthly tent gives way to something better, an eternal house, a resurrected body. Uh, one author puts it like this. In our minds, this present existence is solid and real. This life is present and real. Whereas our coming existence seems shadowy and insubstantial. Paul teaches us that the reverse is true. That's what this passage is saying. The reverse is true. The life which is to come is the real one. The present life is lived among the shadows. Or in the words of C.S. Lewis, in the present, we live in the shadowlands. We experience pain and suffering and affliction. Our minds grow dull. Our eyesight grow dim. We are afflicted because of life's circumstances. Life is gray, neither night nor day. And then he says, but there will be a morning when the sun will bring an end to the shadowlands we live in. And so Paul looked at his body wasting away, but he fixed his eyes on what was waiting for him, a resurrected body. Your best body is yet to come. Do you believe that? Okay. That might be hard if you're a young person to imagine that because you're actually at your prime and looking at these fine specimens in the front row here. Okay. But do you believe that? Your best body is yet to come. Now, maybe you're not, you're not a Christian and you're here this morning. Maybe you're not a Christian. And you're sort of thinking, as you've heard me speak, <clears throat> you know, you Christian people, it sounds like a fairy tale to deal with your fear of death and suffering. Or maybe you've got friends who've actually said that to you. Christianity is believing in a fairy tale ending to help you cope or give you comfort in life. 
to help you face the things that you're going through in life. <clears throat> and, it, and it is interesting because um, um, non-religious people or secular people would say that death is not something you should fight against. It's natural. It's part of the natural world, isn't it? Uh, we need not fear death. We just embrace it because that's part of life. When you die, you die. Now, maybe that's how some of you think. Or maybe you've got friends who think like that. Yet the reality is that people actually do fear death. Uh, and people, if they, even if they don't fear death, they're incredibly grieved by it, aren't they? Death actually fills people with both sorrow and rage. Uh, the biological reality is that we're wasting away. We all know that. Uh, uh, disease, decay, and death haunts us. <clears throat> Yet in our lives, we rage against the dying of the light. Um, if you pause with me for a moment and think about it, like, you know, I, sometimes I see ACG post stuff when they go on retreats where they, you know, they wear those face masks type things, you know, so they can have nice soft skin and stuff like that. I see that, you know, the whole ACG crew or the university student group will do that. I find it quite amusing. But it's really amusing to me because whole industries have been built to meet that rage in your heart. Do you know that? The body beautiful industry that offers you the possibility to look young forever. Uh, a body with tight skin, wrinkle free. Uh, the health and well-being industry that offers you the possibility of staying uh, physically ahead of the game as you age, right? From trying to look young, to working to stay young, to trying to reverse the effects of aging. We actually live in a culture that rages against the dying of the light. So it's crazy, right? The secular actually believes that death is natural, yet the, the secular world has built entire industries that rages against decay, disease, and death. Isn't that interesting? You know, a culture that believes death is natural, yet does everything in its power to keep it at bay. Now, I don't know whether you've realized this. Uh, if you're not a religious person, or maybe you're a secular person, not a Christian, you're visiting us. Uh, there's, a, there's a dissonance between what biology tells us and what your heart actually believes. Did you know that? So what, biology tells you something, you might believe that, but your heart actually believes something different. Let me give you an example, right? I've used this here before at Grace Point. Science actually believes there's nothing more natural than violence. It's called evolution. Natural selection actually deems that we must be violent to get ahead. You see it in nature, right? Yet all of us in this room believe that violence is bad. It grieves us when we see acts of violence on the powerless and the defenseless. Uh, this year is the one-year anniversary of the invasion of Ukraine, um, which has caused the fastest-growing crisis, refugee crisis, with millions displaced since World War II. Uh, it makes us angry when we see children abused and taken advantage of. So everyone in this room, whether you're Christian or not, you can imagine a better world, can't you? You can actually imagine a world without sickness and disease and death, a world where you do not age, a world where you do not feel the effects of weakness and tiredness, where your eyes do not diminish and where your minds doesn't actually get cloudy. But evolution says violence is normal. The strong are weeding out the weak. But in your heart of hearts, you know violence is wrong. It's unfair that the strong prey on the weak. It's unfair the rich exploit the poor. And in your heart of hearts, you do want a better world, don't you? A world without violence. A world where the strong defend the weak. It's called compassion. A world where the rich share with the poor. It's called justice. And so here's the crazy thing. Even when biology says something is natural, your heart tells you something is wrong because you can't imagine something better. You wish for something better. Well, guess what? Biology actually says death is normal. Disease is normal. Biologist Richard Dawkins says, if you are suffering some disease, it's just your bad genes. 
It's bad luck. It's evolution at work. Death is normal. So accept it. No need to be angry. Just accept it. But your heart rages at death. Death fills you with sorrow and grief. Death makes you angry because it just doesn't seem fair that we die and the people we love die. Isn't that true? So biology says death is normal, but can I suggest to you this morning, in the face of decay and disease and death, can I say that maybe it's not the way things are supposed to be because it sure doesn't feel natural when we experience it. The poet Dylan Thomas writes that we should not go gentle into the night of death. We should rage, rage, and rage against the dying of the light. Death is obscene. It's not natural. That's why we live in a culture that wants to be forever young, that does everything in its power to keep death at bay. We're filled with grief and sorrow and anger because it doesn't, just seem, it doesn't seem fair that we die and people we love die. And so the secular answers to the question of what we, or where we need to look to find comfort in the face of decay and disease and death is that we must accept the way things are. Yet you and I, we don't accept our fate. Being told that it's natural is no comfort. Okay? Our hearts long for something better. Our hearts long for love that will not be parted by death. But if there's nothing after death, it means love ends. Uh, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, actually puts it like this. He says, if there's nothing beyond, no resurrected body, love not returned to you, he says, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 32, I'm going to read that for us. Live it up. Get the most out of life today. Look out for number one, because if you don't get it today, there'll be no second chance. So eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we die. So why bother with justice and mercy? Why care for the poor? Why work to make the world a better place? Because ultimately it makes no difference because death brings it all to an end. Makes no lasting difference, right? And so if there's nothing beyond the grave, if this is all there is, there's no hope for those as well on the receiving end of injustice, unresolved suffering, and evil. Because if death is dead, it means suffering wins. Injustice wins. Evil wins. Yet in your heart of hearts, you long. In your life and the life of the people you most love, you long for a happily ever after in life. We want wrong to be made right. We want evil punished. We want justice to roll like a never-failing stream. And, and in fact, we also want bodies that are immune to disease, decay, and death. Now, if you're not a Christian, you probably don't believe in the resurrection. Life beyond the grave with a body immune to decay, disease, and death. You probably don't believe that. But you can imagine that, can't you? I know you can imagine that. Because that is actually the heart's desire of our culture. In fact, uh, when, you, when you study the great myths and the great stories uh, of every culture, uh, you know, and, and, and we have our myths and stories as well that give expression to our heart's desire. We can surely imagine a body immune to disease, decay, and death. To be like Superman. Invincible, immune to physical decay or disease or death. That's the reason why we project ourselves into those stories. The man of steel. Or to be like Diana of Themyscira. You're wondering who she is. That's Wonder Woman. Do you know how old she is? If you know the, the, the Marvel Universe, she's actually 5,000 years old. Ageless immortality, right? And in your heart of hearts, you wish it were true because everyone does. 
Everyone rages against the dying of the light. Everyone longs for love that will not be parted by death and bodies that are immune to decay, disease, and death. Where the body does not wear down, where the tears no longer flow. Well, Christian people actually believe there will be a resurrection of the body. A body immune to disease, decay, and death. A new heavenly body. And that's why Paul did not lose heart. Like I said, your best body is yet to come. No longer afflicted by disease, decay, or death. That's our future hope in the face of decay, disease, and death. The resurrection of the body. But in the present, if you have your Bibles, look at verse 2 to verse 5. He's not there yet. Paul goes, well, you know, that's my desire, but it's not there yet. It hasn't happened yet. He's longing for what's to come. And then he says, meanwhile, we groan. Longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this earthly tent, we groan and are burdened. Because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. So that what is mortal, the present may be swallowed up by life. Now, uh, it's a bit wordy over there, but this is what Paul's actually saying. Um, he's actually saying, you know, think of your body as tense. And now he say, he speaks of clothes, right? Now, normally what happens is uh, you get up in the morning to come to church on a Sunday, and what normally happens is you put on new clothes, but before you put on your new clothes, you remove your old clothes, unless you're the type of person who comes to church in your PJs. I suspect there are some in this room who do do that. Uh, you, but the normal practice is you remove the old, put on the new. But here notice what Paul says. He wants to put on a second set of clothes on top of his existing set of clothes. Why? So that he isn't found naked, right? Or unclothed. So what he, he's saying, he wants to go straight from his broken, fallen, struggling, physical body, his weak, decaying body. He wants to go straight from that to his resurrected body. Okay? He wants his current body to be swallowed up consumed by the resurrected body. Now, why is that? So that, he says, I will not be found naked. So that I will not be unclothed. Okay? He wants immediate transformation. Now, it's important to understand that in the Bible, <coughs> to be naked, to be unclothed, is to be exposed. Okay? Exposed to the shame of sin. Exposed to the shame of judgment. Right? So what's Paul actually saying here? Right? Paul is saying... He's groaning and he's longing, not for death to come, but for immediate transformation. Why? Because he wants to be freed from his struggle with sin, the brokenness of, uh, he experiences in life, uh, the struggle with temptation, everything that dogs him in life, not just sickness, disease, decay, and death, but also the effects of living in the fallen world, no longer having to deal with temptation, no longer struggling with sin in life, no more falling into the same patterns of habitual sin, no more struggling with obedience, no more guilt, no more condemnation, no more shame. He wants immediate transformation. Now, in this room, I, I would say that we groan too, right? We all groan. We tend to groan along for things we believe will free us from some struggle in our lives, uh, for our circumstances to change. So if you're struggling with conflict in the workplace, you live under the burden of a fractured workplace, and you groan and you long for peace and resolution in the workplace. Uh, if you're struggling with loneliness, and you're looking for a love relationship, uh, you live under the burden of not finding love, and you groan and you long for a love relationship. Okay? Whether you're Christian or religious or secular, everyone is groaning and longing for a resolution in their lives to something. To be free from some struggle or suffering, everyone is groaning and longing for something better than what the present offers them. It's true of all of us in this room. 
Now, can I say to you that your groaning and longing for love, for health, for security, for healing, for peace, for relationship, for joy, to be free from some sickness or adversity or some loss, everything your heart is groaning for, everything your heart desires, is not going to be found here in the present. You've got to grasp that truth. Everything your heart is groaning for, the resolution is not going to be found in the present. Why? Because everything in your life is subject to decay, disease, and death. It is wasting away. Sin affects our lives, and we feel the effects of, our, of the fallen world. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to verse 21. Jesus says, you know, all the stuff that you anchor in in life, that you put your hope in in life, he says, every earthly treasure is subject to decay over time. And if it's not subject to decay, it will eventually be taken from you, stolen from you. And so the answer to your groanings and longings in life, Paul says, is found in the future. The future promises of Jesus, a resurrected body and the life to come. Because there you're going to find love that will not be parted by death. Health restored to you completely. A body free from sickness and disease. Lasting security and peace. Loneliness finally removed. Unbroken and unending joy because your struggle with sin is no more. Brokenness removed from the world around you. Paul understood that, which is why he says, in the present we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Our problem, my problem, is that I'm always looking to have my groanings and longings in life met in the here and now. I want heaven now. And I look for it in people and pursuits and possessions. We think the solution is here. But notice what Paul says, chapter 4, verse 18. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. Now, here's the thing, right? We reverse the order in our lives, don't we? We do. We reverse the order. We fix our eyes not on what is unseen, but what is seen. Because we think what is seen, right, what is seen here is eternal, and what is unseen is temporary. And so our problem is that I know some of you have got great eyesight, right? You don't need glasses, but the reality, everyone in this room needs glasses. We are spiritually short-sighted. We live for the present, hoping the things here will meet our groaning and longings in life. In fact, I don't believe it would be unfair to say far too many of us are more invested in the present than we are in eternity. We want the present more than we want heaven. You only have to look at where you are looking to find your groanings met in life to know that Jesus said, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And here's the problem, right? When you look to find the deepest longings of your heart met in the present or in treasures here, when they break, so will your heart. When they're taken from you, your world falls apart. Make your work ultimate. And when it disappoints, it will crush you. Make your kids ultimate. And when something happens to them, it will devastate your world. Make a love relationship ultimate. And when it fails you, it will break your heart. Make money ultimate. When you lose it, it will devastate you. Make health ultimate. And when sickness comes, it will crush you. So let me ask you a couple of questions this morning. In your groaning, because your plans in life have been shattered, do you groan and long for eternity? For your resurrection body in heaven, where you experience God's unshakable future for you. In your groaning, because of unmet and unfulfilled love, do you groan and long for your resurrection body 
where you will know God's perfect and unending love forever. In your groaning because of ongoing suffering, you groan and long for your resurrection body, where suffering in your life will be removed forever one day. In your groaning because of maybe illness or the cloud of anxiety and depression that greets you every day, you groan and long for your resurrection body, where health will be returned to you one day. In your groaning because of sin in your life that you struggle with, do you groan and long for your resurrection body where the struggle with guilt and failure and shame will be no more one day? Do you groan for the right things? You know, I remember speaking to a mom who used to come here at Grace Point. Some of you will know her, others will not. Uh, whose son was born with cerebral palsy. Uh, he's been in a, in a wheelchair all his life. He can't walk since birth. He can't eat without help. He needs help breathing. Uh, he can't speak the way you and I can. And you know, his parents' greatest worry is that one day, there'll be no one to look after him. And one day after church, uh, Amy actually said to me, that's the mom, I'm longing, I'm waiting for the day when Jaden will get up and run. And I said, Amy, he will one day. He will one day. Jaden will one day get up and run because he'll be clothed in his newly, newly resurrected body. The body Jesus has promised him. The body kept in heaven for him. He'll run, he'll laugh, he'll speak, he'll eat, and he'll walk with you. Paul says, there's a newly resurrected body that awaits you in heaven. So it's worth asking, isn't it? In your struggle with sin, with sickness, with hardship, with conflict, with loneliness, with loss, with anxiety, with tragedy, tragedy do you groan and long for the day when you'll be clothed with a new resurrected body? Where are you actually looking to find your groanings met this morning? Here's the third thing. So, verse 6 to verse 10 is no surprise uh, that Paul's confidence in life and death comes from actually knowing that one day he will be with Jesus. His Savior who has gone ahead of him. When he gets his resurrected body, he'll be at home with his Lord, his Savior. Now, this is what gives him confidence. Now, in your Bibles, verse 6 to verse 10, uh, you'll see the word confident. The word there is courage. Okay? You might want to make a note of that. Because that's a really important word. I think what we want is courage, don't we? In the face of so much of what we face in life. Well, Paul says, this is how you find courage. Verse 6, therefore, given that we have new resurrected bodies in heaven coming, we are always confident. He says, we're filled with courage. Filled with courage to press on, to endure, to sacrifice, to obey, to to love, to serve, to do what is right. We are always filled with courage and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live our lives by faith, not by sight. Why? Because as he said, we live by what is unseen. Knowing that the present is transient, passing away. We are confident, he says. We are filled with courage, I say, he says, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That's where his eyes are looking. That's what gives him courage. Now, I think these verses are kind of astounding because notice what gave Paul the courage and confidence to endure and face everything he was going through in life, to love and serve people, to make sacrifices for the gospel. It was knowing that even if he was wasting away, even if things were being taken from him in life, outwardly afflicted, he says, inwardly, 
God's Spirit was at work preparing him, renewing him for eternal glory, for this body to come. You see, when we are afflicted, when we're suffering, when we're struggling, what do we tend to do? We tend to focus on the affliction, the suffering, the loss, the tragedy, right? But notice when Paul is afflicted and suffering, he focuses not on the external, but the eternal. That's what he does. That's what we read in verse 6 to verse 7. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, our body is wasting away. That's right. We are at home in the body. We, he realizes as long as that's happening, we are away from the Lord. The best is yet to come. We haven't arrived. That's what we need to realize. We haven't got our resurrected bodies yet. Heaven has not come. For in the present, he says, we live our lives by faith, not by sight. We live facing our anxiety, our stresses, our losses, our sickness, our weaknesses, our suffering. Focusing, he says, not on the external, but the eternal. We live believing in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. That's what he's saying. It's it's so important to understand this, right? Because it's a call to stop looking at the external and look instead at the eternal. A call to stop living for the present and to start living by the promises God has made you in the one who has saved you and gone ahead of you to prepare a place for you. It's a call really to wake up and realize that despite your body breaking down and struggling, despite suffering and struggle in life, despite temptation to sin, there are better days coming because of Jesus. There's an eternity where things will be reversed and restored. There is an eternal house waiting for you, a resurrected body, a new body, a day when you'll be at home with Jesus, clothed in a body no longer subject to decay, disease, and death. In the words of the song that we sometimes sing here at Grace Point, is there in your outline, no weeping, no hurt or pain, no suffering because He finally holds you. No darkness, no sick or lame, no hiding, because He finally holds you. Pause with me and think for a moment. Why do people lose heart when afflicted, suffering and struggling? Well, people lose heart because they can't see a better future. That's when people lose heart. Where do people find courage to face their affliction, suffering and struggles? Well, they find courage to do that when they can see a better future. That's how all of life works. Paul's life was shaped by eternity and the promised future of God. That's how he found courage in the present. That's what it means to say, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. You say it every time you recite the creed. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? What if there was something you could have that could give you and unshakable confidence in life and death. Wouldn't you want it? An unshakable confidence in the face of decay, disease, and death. An unshakable confidence in the face of pain and suffering. An unshakable confidence in the face of insecurity and, unsecure, and uncertainty. An unshakable confidence when things aren't going your way. An unshakable confidence when you are robbed of everything that is important to you in life. Wouldn't you want it? Well, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, as I've often said, we all wish we could live with an unshakable confidence in life and death. Well, can I say 
that an unshakable confidence in life and death is only as good as the object of your confidence. And Paul says very clearly, your body is wasting away, so there's no point putting your confidence there. The present is temporary. We all know that. There's no point putting your confidence there. Everything that you work for and achieve and secure in life, well, that's transient. No point putting your confidence there. Paul says, put your confidence here. That's what you're affirming in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. In fact, it's the reason why um, churches traditionally have cemeteries attached to them. Elliot wrote about this last year. Those of you who remember, you know, if you go to a traditional church, and this is not a traditional church building, uh, on church grounds, when you come to church, you notice that there are tombstones, cemeteries all around the church. Uh, and, and, and it was done that way because it was a reminder to you that as you come to church, it's a reminder to you that we are all wasting away. The present is temporary and transient. This is the effects of sin and its consequences. Decay, disease, and death marks the present, not those of those who have gone, but also you who come to worship. But it's also a reminder to you that there will be a resurrection. The effect of sin and its consequences, decay and disease and death, will never be the last word as you come to worship. It will never be the last word for those who have trusted Jesus. You walk past the gravestones of those in your church community, brothers, sisters, family, parent, child, grandparent. That's why traditional churches really had cemeteries built around their churches. And you walk and you come to church past those gone before you, knowing the grave will one day give way to a resurrection. The promise that we will meet again. The promise that love will be returned to you. The promise that there will be a day where there will be no longer decay, disease, or death, knowing that the tears and the grief of the present will be no more. For we know that if the earthly tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not made by human hands. You know, Pastor Elliot wrote about this feature in traditional churches last year, cemeteries attached to the church, and he wrote, it is only within the Christian faith that we can celebrate life in the face of death. Do you know that? It's only in the Christian faith that we can celebrate life in the face of suffering, life in the face of loss, life in the face of weakness, life in the face of anxiety, life in the face of depression, life in the face of decay. Did you know that? Do you believe it? And you can only do that if there's something beyond, if there's a reversal, if there's a restoration, if there's a resurrection, church, put your confidence there. Let me end by way of story. I've told this story before. Some of you who've heard it, please forgive me. <coughs> but in uh, Valladolid, Spain, where Christopher Columbus first died, 1506, there's actually a monument. For those of you who go on holidays, you might check out the monument in Spain. Uh, it's built to commemorate the great discoverer, Christopher Columbus, the most interesting part of the monument or the statue is, uh, is at the bottom of the statue, there's a lion that destroys the Latin words. The Latin words that for generations had been part of Spain's motto. Because before Columbus made his discovery in the New World, right, the Americas, the Spaniards actually thought, because they were great sailors, the Spaniards actually thought they had conquered the known world. Nothing left beyond. Uh, there was nothing left to con conquer, no more glory left to secure. You couldn't travel any further because you fall off the side of the earth. So their motto was, ne plus ultra, no more beyond. We have secured eternal glory here and now. 
right? And so what happens is the Spanish coins that were minted had the pillars of Hercules uh, on each side, and, and then there was a scroll in the middle with those words on the Spanish coins, no more beyond, ne plus ultra. But then in 1492, what actually happens is, in 1492, Columbus actually went beyond. He discovered the new world. He discovered there was more beyond. So what, what they had to do was, you know those Spanish coins, they had to remove the word no or nay. Okay? So they were restruck, removing the Spanish coins. So you've got the Pillars of Hercules, and in the middle was the new motto for the Spanish Empire. Plus ultra, more beyond. There is glory beyond. We were wrong. Uh, at the bottom of the monument, so when you go to Spain, you do your holidays there. At the bottom of the monument, the line is ripping away at the word no, so that it now reads more beyond. Church, this passage tells us there's more beyond because of Jesus who died for you, who rose in the power of the resurrection, and has gone ahead of you. The view of the secular world is that there's no more beyond. And I get it. You can believe that. But if that's true, then there's no hope, no comfort, no reason to not lose heart when death, decay, and disease come. It gives you no confidence in the face of your losses and suffering. And it gives you no reason to be a person who cares, who loves justice and mercy, because if death is the end, then why bother? And so the secular wants hope, but it doesn't offer hope. Even if you're not a Christian, can I say to you, even if you're not a Christian today, you wish there was more beyond. That tells you something. The good news of Jesus says, plus ultra, there is more beyond. There is a future resurrection body. There is an eternity ahead. A resurrected body where everything will be returned to you. Things will be reversed. A day when you'll finally be at home with the one who has saved you forever. No weeping, no hurt or pain. No suffering because he finally holds you. No darkness, no sickness or lame. No hiding. Because he finally holds you. Isn't that the deepest longing of your heart? It is, isn't it? And maybe for some of you who are struggling today because of some personal loss or tragedy that we're not aware of, crushed by loneliness and anxiety, overwhelmed by ongoing sickness, can I say to you, let this hope wipe away the tears from your eyes. Let this hope comfort you in your suffering. Let this hope carry you in your darkness. Let this hope be the answer to the deepest groaning and longings of your heart today. Will you trust the one who has saved you, who has risen and gone ahead of you? And maybe for some of you whose eyes are only on the present, living only for the present, anchoring only for the present, maybe your eyes have been open to eternity today. Maybe. And maybe the right response for you is repentance. Maybe that's what you need to do. Repent for living your life for what is temporary rather than eternal. For living your life for the earthly, for people, pursuits, and possessions, rather than anchoring in the Lord Jesus who saved you. But maybe, just maybe, for some of you who've been living on the dark side of today's pillar of Hercules, as if there was no more beyond, can I say to you, maybe Jesus offers you more beyond today? An eternal glory, a resurrected body and a future no longer subject to decay, disease, and death. Maybe today Jesus actually offers you a confidence to face the things you are facing in life. The losses, the suffering, the insecurities. Will you take what he offers? 
Will you fix your eyes on Him? Will you entrust yourself to Him? Will you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we thank you that you have not left us in the darkness of our fallen world. Decay, disease, and death, the struggle with sin is not the last word in our lives. We repent because we often look for hope in the present rather than your promises of a better future because of Jesus. So this morning, we anchor our hope in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Give us courage to face and endure and persevere with faithfulness, with patience and unshakable joy when we find ourselves walking in the valley of the shadow of death. When life afflicts us, when our minds are anxious, when our hearts are broken, when our bodies are in pain. Open our eyes to the resurrection of the body to come. No weeping, no hurt or pain, no suffering, because my Savior Jesus finally holds me. No darkness, no sick or lame, no hiding, because my Savior Jesus finally holds me. Amen.